When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, friend. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast from Cleveland.com. It's Doug LaMarie's with a special interview for you on this Tuesday Orange and Brown Talk. It's Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders. Great site, data-driven, and I'm going to say this. I like, I love Football Outsiders. I love analyzing the game this way. It's not the only way to analyze the game, but the way they, they're as good at doing it this way as anybody out there. I'm not so sure the Browns fit data (laughs) and you know like i like the whole sashi thing i like analytics and football you've got to use that um i think the browns are really smart front office right now because they do use some of that stuff but where a lot of the data i mean it's it's history right it's it's what you, you use previous data to try to anticipate the future and i end up asking aaron in this half hour interview like four or five questions that are like data yeah but this is a big but team so there is some stuff in here that you need to know because we can't be all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Like we have to have a realistic view about this Brown season. But I also think like the numbers might lie to us this time because the whole thing, right? I mean, there's an exception to every rule. So like it proves it. So um, take this in, take this in, take this in. He's smart. The way they analyze the game is smart because the Browns revamped their defense because last season was almost like two different seasons in one for Baker Mayfield because Odell Beckham Jr. is coming off an injury. You know, there's just a lot of things here that make it hard to analyze the Browns this way, but it's worth doing. So Aaron Schatz is here. They just put out uh, their Football Outsiders Almanac, 525 pages, just released on Monday. It was the like number one on Amazon, they said. They're like, it's just, it's going crazy. A lot of people trust them and, and use their stuff. So... They're doing a media tour, and I was like, yeah, we'll take them. So we have this, and then on Thursday, we have a guy named Scott Spratt, who's their fantasy guy, and he and I talked fantasy football as it relates to the Browns, which I was really excited to do. The idea of, like, where does Baker Mayfield fit in among fantasy quarterbacks? Where does OBJ fit in? Where do Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt fit in? Stuff like that. A different way to look at it. I I would like to do a little more fantasy football, maybe, if we could, at Cleveland.com. And on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, I, I don't I don't know if anybody else wants to, but we'll see how that goes. So this is Aaron Schatz. Take it in, absorb it, think about it, but uh, don't let it get you down. <laughs> don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Because listen, the Browns are a good story. They're going to be a good team. They're just hard to get a handle on. And that's what we talk about. It's Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders joining us on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Aaron, before we get started, I want to make sure people can get access to this big uh, preview that you guys have put out at Football Outsiders. It's some of the best football content out there. So sometimes it's like you do an interview and it's like, listen, you're we're getting to talk to you in part because you're promoting the thing. And then you wait until the end. Promote it now. Make sure people know where to get your stuff. Thank you. Yes, <clears throat> it's called Football Outsiders Almanac 2021. 
There's two ways to get it. The first is the online version. You go to our site, footballoutsiders.com, and you get a subscription to our FO Plus service, which is actually on sale right now for just a dollar a week during the season if you get an annual subscription. You can also get a monthly subscription. That gives you access to fantasy projections, our fantasy draft tool, our database of statistics, as well as the Football Outsiders Almanac 2021 online chapters, as well as a PDF download. The other way you get the book is to go to Amazon. You can get a print book. It's $29.99 on Amazon.com. All right. And I highly recommend it. I, of course, am a subscriber to Football Outsiders. I reference you guys a lot um, because it's some of the best football analysis out there. So, Aaron, the 2021 Cleveland Browns. Is this an easy team to get your hands around as you look at the NFL season this year and you try to analyze, you know, what's happened in the past and what to expect for this year? Or is this a difficult team to try to get your hands around? It's a difficult team to try to get our hands around because the fact is that the conventional wisdom and the data do not necessarily agree on this team. I'm going to make some enemies here, I think, with uh, what our data says about the Cleveland Browns last year. That's okay because I think, listen, we're lots of Browns people, media fans. I think the team itself are flying high, right, based on like what they did last year and the additions that they made. But I think we also have to recognize that, you know, they won a lot of close games. Um, I think, you know, some people wondered about their schedule last year. That's what factors into this a little bit, right? That, I mean, they're, they had a negative, did they have a negative scoring margin last year? Those are the kind of things you're referencing when maybe it leads you to wonder what they're going to do this season. Yeah, they were had the 30th ranked schedule. So schedule was a big help. They were actually, uh, 24th no 18th 18th in uh, football outsiders dvoa which uh makes them the second worst 11 and 5 team in the last 37 years that we have numbers for so they were not as good as their record now a big part of that so this is why it becomes confusing to get your hands around the browns a big part of those numbers is two games It's those two gigantic losses early in the season to the Steelers and the Ravens. Yep. And the question is, how much do those two games matter compared to the rest of the schedule? Um, Which, by the way, is also complicated by the fact that they had the game where they had no wide receivers. Yes. And then they had the Week 17 game where Pittsburgh sat all their starters. So there's a lot that's sort of confusing about how good the Browns were. But – The fact is that even if we take out the Ravens and the Steelers, those two blowouts from last year, it doesn't improve the Browns projection very much. There's there's that stretch in the middle of the year last season where they had some home games against the Texans, against the Raiders, where the wind was blowing like crazy and like nobody could throw the ball and they lost a close game. They won some close games. It really was um, an odd year in a lot of ways. And does that, when you have a situation, a situation like this, Aaron, when you analyze it to yourself, right, that you, you have all this data that influences how you think about football, how often do you say to yourself, like, you know what, I don't know that, like, the, the history and the, the data is, is the right way to look at this team, or do you just have to go by that? Because more often than not, the great majority of the time, that's the best way to analyze a team, and you can't pick and choose when you decide to sort of ignore the numbers. It's sort of the latter. 
I mean, that's first of all, look, that's what we do, right? That's what Football Outsiders is about. So if we were to suddenly throw the numbers out and be like, well, I I kind of feel like this team is better than this. I mean, we'll say that. We'll say that in the writing. And I think we do say that in the Cleveland Browns chapter. We feel like the team is a little bit better than the numbers say that they are. You know, and we like what's going on in the front office and we like what's going on with the coaching staff. And so, you know, we put that into words next to the numbers. But the numbers say what they say. And, you know, we're sort of trained to go with that. And obviously the weirdness of the last two years with COVID, you know, means that perhaps the numbers aren't as predictive as they have been in the past. But that's still that's what we've got to go with. So that's what we go with. Right. And, and that makes sense. Um, do you let's move on to Baker Mayfield a little bit and just like a, a view of him again. It's like, hey, hey, Doug, let's have on the really smart guy who analyzes data in a really sophisticated way. And then they ask him a million questions about like, oh, yeah, but like you shouldn't use the data on this guy. because like Baker is nuts, too. Right. That he had. Like he was good as a rookie, then he wasn't as good. Then like he almost had two separate seasons last year. You can't every time anybody talks about Baker Mayfield, you talk about he's had this many head coaches, he had this many offensive coordinators. So like here he is in year four and you look back and, and Aaron, I, I, I've said along the way, you know, a lot of quarterbacks have weird second or third years in the progress of, of a career you know, sometimes good careers and sometimes in the progress of a mediocre career. To me, it's not unusual to have sort of like an off year as quote, the league figures you out or whatever. I don't know. But sometimes you just have a weird year. Is it, what's it like trying to figure out what kind of quarterback Baker Mayfield is from the data? Is that an easier idea or is that also kind of a complicated one? Again, complicated because he's gone, but based on our stats, he's gone up, down, up over the last three years. Now, There are some other stats that are just, you know, ESPN's QBR actually had him fairly even in 2018 and 2019 and then had him take a jump in 2020. I'm not sure what makes that different from our stats in ours, which are adjusted for opponent and and look at his passing particularly. um, He was better in 2018 and 2020 than he was in 2019. So you're like, okay, most quarterbacks take a step forward in their second year. He took a step backwards. Then he took a step forward in his third year. What we're expecting for his fourth year is something sort of in between what he did last year and what he did the year before. Maybe we're expecting a little too low. I don't know, but um, it's difficult because he's bounced around so much. How many more questions can I ask you that are like, have a giant butt in them. Let's think of the, I have another one. How about this one? How about this one? What is your, describe your general view on running backs in the NFL, what a good running back means to a team. And then let's talk about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in Cleveland, because I certainly understand the idea of, um, you know, from a roster building standpoint, that kind of thing, maybe don't spend all your money on running backs. But then I look at the Browns and I'm like, well, they have hunt on a good deal. I think they should do what it takes to keep Chubb. The offense they run with Kevin Stefanski, what Nick Chubb has done so far in his career. I sort of have the view of what I think I think about running backs in general in the NFL. And then I have a view of what I think the Browns are with their running backs again, do the Browns buck any convention, any data? Do they buck what you normally would think about running backs in the NFL? 
I don't think so. What okay. they have is two really good running backs, but I don't think that changes the value of running backs in general. I think that uh, analytics have shown that running backs are not as valuable as other positions and that the difference between a really good running back and an average running back is a smaller difference than the difference between, let's say, a really good cornerback and an average cornerback. The fact that the Browns have really good running backs, especially Chubb, doesn't change that fact. It's just that they, you know, on the you know variation in running backs, they happen to be on the really good side, but it doesn't change the fact that running backs are not as valuable as other positions. Okay. Let's talk about Odell Beckham Jr. a little bit. <laughs> I'm just going gonna, gonna to have to put a headline on this podcast that is like, Doug asks Aaron to go against his data 400 times. I believe, I believe in football outsiders a lot. I'm curious about Odell Beckham. To me, what he did early in New York and then versus the end of New York and what he's done in Cleveland so far, I feel like it's not impossible that he could have like a year that mirrors, hey, this is the best year you've had like in six years because of the offensive issues, because of the injury, that maybe if everything goes right, I wonder what a great Odell Beckham Jr. season looks like. Does that make sense? To, is it is it possible, Aaron? Is there much data to back up the idea of a, a receiver who statistically has maybe been trending a certain way, having a huge leap up again? Or would that be foolhardy for me to be wondering about, hey, is Odell Beckham Jr. going to be one of the best five receivers in the league? I mean, I wouldn't expect it. Is it possible? I mean, the talent is still there that you saw in his youth, but it's not likely that players who play, you know, I mean, the fact is that when you add in the, you know, even considering who his quarterback has been, he's been a little bit below average the last two years, still a useful player, but a little bit below average. So, um, you know, is, is he going to bounce back to suddenly being one of the top five receivers in the game? It's, it's pretty unlikely. It wouldn't be a shock though, because you know that the talent is yeah. there deep, deep down, you know, the talent is there because we've seen it before. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'll ask one more offensive question. What's your general view of how you analyze the Browns offensive line? I mean, they're very good, but I'm wondering what you believe, what you guys have, the data you have, what does that good mean? Best in the league? Very good. Is there a guy who stands out? Is it more about them as a five-person unit? Just what's your overall view on that line? Well, it's always more about the five-person unit, I think, than the individual linemen. But they strike me as a line that doesn't have weakness very much. Um, in, in many ways, offensive line is you're only as strong as your weakest link because you can go after the weak link. And they don't really have a weak link on the Cleveland offensive line. There's, there's nobody who's really the weakest link might be Jedrick Wills at left tackle. And that might be because he was a rookie and he'll get better. And it's not even a very weak link anyway. So it's kind of weird to even call it a weak link. So uh, I think what matters is that they're just really strong overall. I think they're stronger pass blocking than uh, run blocking, but I think that the players that they block for make it look like, they're stronger run blocking than pass blocking. Does that make sense? That does make sense. That's an interesting way to, to, to look at it, that you think Chubb and Hunt maybe make them look better as a run blocking unit, whereas sometimes they're actually their pass blocking is pretty good, but maybe 
Baker's tendency to maybe hold on to the ball or do some stuff makes it look like they're giving up more pressure than they actually are. I think that that is the case. Yes. We found that quarterbacks, a lot of pressure rate and sack rate belongs to quarterbacks, not offensive lines. But when you look at marking of blown blocks, they were a better pass blocking team than run blocking team over the last three years. Okay. That is some good data. Let's take a quick break with Aaron Schatz, the editor in chief of football outsiders. We'll come back and talk about the Browns defense on the orange and Brown talk podcast. Douglas Maurice back with Aaron Schatz. Aaron, um, this is always curious to me. It's hard for, for a guy like me who's just sort of, you know, writing columns and talking on podcasts. The defense is basically entirely new. They're going to, you know, they have Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett and almost everybody else that's going to matter on this defense in 2021 is new, whether they're coming back from injury like Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams, or whether they're guys that they acquired in the offseason like John Johnson III and Jadavion Clowney and Troy Hill and about Anthony Walker and a bunch of other guys. So then what do you do? Aaron, help me do help me do my job, right? Do we throw out Brown's defensive data from a year ago and say, well, they got nine new guys? Or is that the wrong way to look at it? Because Joe Woods is still here. The scheme is the same. Garrett and Ward are here. We have to lean on last year to some degree. I mean, we always have to lean on last year to some degree. That's just how you do projections. The thing is, they have added a lot of talent, but they also subtracted a lot of talent. Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson and some other players. So I think that the amount that they're adding, like even including Delpit coming back from injury and stuff, is a little bit overrated uh, the amount that they're adding. I also think if we think that Brandon Staley is so awesome as a coordinator, then we have to believe that his players may not play as well if they leave Los Angeles. And so you have to wonder, will John Johnson and Troy Hill be as good outside of Brandon Staley's defense as they were last year? No, I think that's fair. Um, it is interesting, Aaron, when you see a team. I mean, they got two guys. They got two guys from a, from a good secondary you understand why the Browns maybe did that. Hey, we like how they play. We like those, what those guys did. But whatever percent of that is coaching, right? And again, that's what you guys, you know, are really smart about breaking down sometimes. You have to take that into account, the situations they were, they were put in, the people they were surrounded by. And it's not necessarily a one-to-one correlation of, you did this for this team last year, you'll be the exact same player for this team this year. Right. And Johnson was fabulous last year. I'm actually an all pro voter and he got my all pro vote at safety. Um, but you, you, you do have to ask yourself, will he be as good in a different defense? Troy Hills, especially, will he be as good in a different defense? And what will be the effect of the players that they've lost, not just the players that they've gained? Right. Let's talk about Miles Garrett a little bit. I am curious, sort of generally, how you would describe your view of a great player's impact on a defense as a whole. Like, how how much does Miles Garrett matter to the Browns' defense? And it's interesting just to think about because a couple of years ago, they missed him for the last six games with his suspension. Last year, he was out with COVID. When he got back from COVID, he maybe wasn't quite himself. You know, what it, – it, it's an obvious question, but I'm, I'm interested from your perspective on it. What does he mean to the Browns? I think he means a lot, but uh, there has been a lot of analytical work done that sort of shows the idea that a secondary is more important than the edge rushers. Yep. So he may not be like the most valuable defensive player in the league, 
I mean, it means a lot to have a top five edge rusher. There's no question about it. And, you know, he's worth the money that they pay him. You, you, no team ever lost because they overpaid the best players at their positions, right? I mean, for the most part, you know, there's exceptions. Like, for example, I wouldn't want to overpay the best running back. But for edge rushers, for cornerbacks, for wide receivers, obviously for quarterback, you don't go broke overpaying the best players at those positions. But I think that defense like offensive line you are as strong as your weakest link and so what matters is what you have overall not just what you have in the one really good player this is something that i've wondered about and i've struggled with some since the addition of Jadavion Clowney. and obviously they did you make a point good point they had olivier vernon last year he was a productive end opposite miles garrett what's your general view on how much a second pass rusher, a second edge rusher affects the primary edge rusher. That is Jadavion Clowney going to make Miles Garrett better? Is Miles Garrett going to make Jadavion Clowney better? Or is there data that suggests, you know what, a guy kind of does his thing on his own, and that really is the case. And assuming that, like, hey, Jadavion Clowney is going to get some pressures and, you know, a quarterback's going to be forced to move towards Miles Garrett and he'll get a sack, that's not. That's not really how it works. What does Clowney mean for Garrett and Garrett mean for Clowney? I wouldn't say that I've done the research to really be able to answer that question. What I will say is that Clowney having no sacks last year is really like a hiccup. Like he had pass pressures. Okay. And the fact that he had zero sacks is he's not a zero sack guy because he had a zero sack year. Okay. That makes sense. And that is something again, that that as we're trying to assess Clowney, Clowney and, and Beckham are a little bit, like to me and that we've seen some you know some peaks we've seen some some step back maybe but you still think there's a lot of ingrained talent there and I do think you couldn't get hung up on zero sacks last year and maybe be overly concerned about that but you're saying he was there were other ways that he was productive that it wasn't measured only by the zero sacks correct that's correct okay all right, let's let's talk a little bit about the division, if we could, because obviously what the Ravens and the Steelers and the Bengals do impacts the Browns a lot. Where, What does the data say, what does the football outsider's data say about where you think the Pittsburgh Steelers are? Is there a general overview? I think a lot of people are questioning, are they ready to fall off a cliff? Are they this, always the Steelers? Where are you? I think that defensively, the Steelers have been very consistent. Defense is less consistent than offense, but they've been very consistent over the last few years. And I think defensively, they have our number one defensive projection again, and you can expect them to be good again. I think the offense, they fell off a cliff last year, but I don't expect them to be that much worse than they already were last year, right? Like the fact that they fell off a cliff the sort of continued aging of Roethlisberger is balanced by the idea that they're going to rebound a little bit from such a precipitous decline. So I think the best projection for their offense is that it's about where it was last year. So if they have a very strong defense and the offense is about where it was last year, then overall they should be still an above average team. Yeah. Okay. Is where are you with the Ravens? Do you believe, and is there a clear indication in your mind of, of who you think the best team in this division is? Does it feel like the Ravens to you? 
Yeah, the Ravens have been so good in our numbers over the last two years that we have to have them as projected as the best team. And, and because they're so all around good, they're one of the few teams that's really consistently good on special teams. They've been consistently good on defense. Their offense has been really strong the last two years. We have them projected as a top 10 teams in all three phases of the game. Okay. So let's provide a little more context for Browns fans here within the AFC because the Ravens obviously matter a lot to the Browns. The Steelers matter a lot to the Browns. The Chiefs matter a lot to the Browns. And then I think that, I mean, there are teams like the Bills. There are teams like the Chargers. If people, if you're, people are a believer in like a, a second year Justin Herbert leap and that defense gets healthy, it feels like to me that there are some really interesting potentially rising teams in the AFC. Is there a particular AFC team that your numbers would lead you to say, I'm really curious about these guys. Um, Is there anybody that stands out above the others? Well, the top three are Baltimore, Kansas city, and Buffalo. Those are our top three AFC teams. We like new England. I think more than other people because they've added and returning so much defensive talent this year. Their defense fell apart last year because of the loss of talent. Now they're getting a lot of extra talent that they've added uh, more than any team in the last 18 years as far as adding talent in the offseason. So we like them. We have the Chargers lower than I think almost anybody else. The fact is that the second-year quarterback leap, when you're already as good as what Herbert was last year, you don't tend to take a second-year quarterback leap. And we think their defense doesn't have the right pieces for Staley to do what he wants to do. Okay. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Josh Allen because we end up talking a lot about Josh Allen on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast because it's a guy that the Browns could have drafted and I did not want them to draft. Is Josh Allen ascending still in your mind? Is there anything about Josh Allen's year, uh, you know, last season that is hollow at all? Or is that like that guy is no, he's established himself and you should anticipate an even better Josh Allen in 2021. Well, just because there's no holes in last year doesn't mean you should anticipate that it's going to get better this year. When a player jumps as much as Allen jumped last year, you have to expect a little bit of regression and a step back. But no, there's no holes in his game from last year. He really was that good. He was that good. Okay. And as we think about, again, sort of that, I think with Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield is always going to be talked about in context with, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson in that quarterback class. That makes sense. I don't think it's just what, you know, media guys talk like, Hey, these three guys came in together. What should we expect from Lamar Jackson? Is there anything in the data that, that indicates any holes in his game or is he a quarterback that could still be ascending? I think that there's a clear hole in his game, which is throwing outside. And we detail it in the Baltimore chapter, the trouble he has throwing to the sidelines. And if he could fix that hole in his game, he would absolutely be even better. Okay. So that is, is it typical, Aaron? Are there a lot of quarterbacks? I'm not going to ask you to detail all the, the, the 31 holes and the other 31 starting quarterbacks. Do a lot of guys have a thing? When you guys break it down like that to say, oh, yeah, this guy, this this guy has this thing that he's not very good at. Or are there a lot of sort of complete quarterbacks in the NFL at the moment? It's more like there's a lot of random variation where you might be bad at a certain thing for one year, but it doesn't tend to carry over from year to year. So it's probably not real. It's probably just random variation. And it's hard to find very specific holes in guys games that stay constant from year to year. Okay. So there is, I mean, like I, we, I mean, 
the world talks about quarterbacks so much. I think we like it's easier if there are defined things like, well, this happened, so this is going to happen. But there is a degree of randomness to this that you try to figure out how the randomness applies, but we have to understand that's just a normal part of playing quarterback in the NFL, that that randomness is just part of the deal. Yeah, if you have a year where you're particularly not that good on play action or you have a year where you're particularly not that good on second down, that if it's only a one-year blip, it wasn't really real. It was just variation. It just happens a lot with performance under pressure because the fact is performance without pressure is much more consistent from year to year than performance under pressure. And you can do a lot better predicting how well quarterbacks will play in the future if you look at performance without pressure. Okay. So let's apply that to one more guy. It's the only quarterback in the division I haven't asked about yet. Joe Burrow um, flashed, then got hurt. I would assume when you throw an injury into the mix, it certainly you have less numbers to lean on. It just, it it makes it more difficult. Is it, is there any read on Joe Burrow at this point, or is it almost all variation and we just have to see what he does? I think it's almost all variation and we just have to see what he does. We only have a half a season to go by. He was very average in a lot of ways. And so he could be a lot of different things in the future, but uh, unlike with Herbert, you have to expect that there'll be some sort of second year leap because he was a slightly below average quarterback, not a particularly good one. Okay. Okay. Let's end with Kevin Stefanski. Uh, a lot of Browns fans were, I, I would say every Browns fan was very enthused by Kevin Stefanski's first year as the head coach, you know, both in sort of leading the team and the offense that he called for the Browns. I mean, particularly from just the, the, the way he called games for the Browns, is there anything in the data that shows, like, do you feel like he, he maximized the Browns' talent? Like, what, how would you say um, Kevin Stefanski as a play caller went in year one? It's interesting because he was aggressive on fourth downs. That's a good thing. We like that. He didn't do some of the things people expected. Like, they expected them to be a ton of play action, but the play action rate only went up slightly. They're expected to be a lot of RPOs, but they were actually near the bottom of the league in RPOs. What they did bring in was a lot of pre-snap motion. They increased their usage of motion from 28th in the league in 2019 to 5th in the league in 2020. And that was actually not a thing Stefanski did a lot in Minnesota. So good on him for bringing in new things to Cleveland that fit what, what would be good for the Browns, not necessarily what he did with the Vikings. Right. Okay. Aaron, one more time, let's just make sure the people can get all the work you guys done. And also, if they want to follow you to keep up with Football Outsiders during the season, where where can they do that best? All right. FootballOutsiders.com is the website. You want to get an FO Plus subscription to have access to Football Outsiders Almanac 2021, our 525-page season preview with fantasy projections, comments on all the skill players, chapters for all 32 NFL teams, previews of the top 50 college teams. It's all in there. You can also get the physical book at Amazon, Football Outsiders Almanac 2021. And the other thing I will mention is my Twitter handle for people who want to follow me on Twitter, F-O underscore A-Shots, which is spelled A-S-C-H-A-T-Z. I'll ask you this last one, Aaron, because I like process. Like how, how long does, when do you guys start working on the season preview? It's 525 pages. Are you working on the season preview while the previous season is still going on? Or it is like the Super Bowl ends and just, it's like you guys hunker down. 
What's the process of putting together a 525-page season preview like that? Yeah, we start in early March, and we're working from early March to early July. So it's about three months. Okay. No, March, April, May, June, four months. Four months. Okay. And then you get, I mean, you get a little break, get a little break after it goes to print. And then nope. you have to, no. Oh. February is the break after the Super Bowl. That's when Febu- we get to take a break. That's when you get to take the break. You maybe should talk to the editor in chief about getting a little more time off. Feels like you guys are working too hard. I don't know if you can put in a We work pretty hard. Yeah, it seems like it. All right, Aaron Schatz, thank you for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And thank you guys for listening.